DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. All right, we've got, uh, we've got two listeners who've weighed in here with interesting points, and one is specifically for you, PK, because you are a man of the people. True. Uh, and again, you know, it's Joe Ingles' production, starting lineup of the bench. It's night and day, right? Uh, give, give us a stat on the 20-point games you shared earlier. I think you said four this season. Three just came in the six games in which Mike Conley was out, and I think the fourth one was one of those Dallas games that Donovan Mitch uh, missed. Remember that? Uh, I think it was a two-game homestand against the Mavs. The Jazz won both of them. So I think that I looked at it last night in, in just doing some preparing for the show and what to talk about. And I don't have it in front of me right now, but if my memory serves correct, which I believe it's true, that it was four games in which he scored 20. And interestingly, all four in which he started because either Conley or Mitchell were out. So Jerry uh, says this. He says, casual jazz observer. Seems like Joe's scoring happens when playing with Donovan, but not Clarkson. When Clarkson is in, even Donovan defers the offense to him. Starting gave the opportunity for Joe getting shots, especially early in the game, because Donovan's scoring seems second-half heavy. I didn't notice him passing on shots Friday. Again, casual jazz observer here. You know, off the top of my head, that, that made a lot of sense to me, that there's, when Joe goes into the starting lineup, there's three things that could happen that could come together to get him more shots in these 20-point games. Okay, one... Uh, he starts and it changes his mojo and the way he approaches the game and all that, right? Okay, so there's one, the impact it has on Joe. Two, well, obviously Conley's out, so there's more shots to be had. So that's another thing. And three, you have more minutes not on the floor with Clarkson, and when Clarkson is in, he gets the ball and he goes to the hoop, or he gets the ball and he takes the three. And so you become much more the observer and more passive because everybody's watching Clarkson go to work. And for the minutes he's in... He drives things for not not every possession, but for a big chunk of those minutes. I thought that was I think that's pretty spot on there. Deferring to Clarkson is a factor that we haven't really talked about, but makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look at all those numbers to see what that uh, reality is. But you know, I'm not going to go crazy here that uh, he was not as much as a factor against the Clippers in that game on Friday versus what he had been earlier. Because you can't go crazy on one game. Never can. You know, unless it's a seventh game or something. Uh, but in a regular season game, you just can't go berserk and make these long-range ramifications. That's up to those guys to figure out how to get things done. I believe they can. And Joe's value goes beyond a box score. I think that's something that we've seen, too. And I think what was very interesting is what, what did Joe miss? Three or four games earlier in the season? Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that I remember that Donovan said, man, I don't real, I didn't realize all the stuff that he does until he wasn't there, because I don't think, uh, and to that point, Donovan Mitchell had ever played an NBA game in which Joe Ingles had not appeared in. Right. It was literally the first one because he had that three hundred and eighty-four yeah. game streak going on there. So you know he he can contribute beyond the value, and I think he will. But they've got he's too good of a player not to have an impact on the game. Okay, so the other listener with a take here is Jeff, who says, uh, and this is in reaction to the question about uh, the Clippers get their two-star players back, they beat the Jazz, who goes into the I told you so camp? And Jeff says, not me. 
Utah has nuked the 2020 scouting report on them, which was to drop the big for 48 minutes. Now teams are trying to figure out how to shut off the threes. There are adjustments that Utah can make to get more threes against pressure defenses. The Clips game will force Utah to change. I think this goes to the point that teams evolve over the course of an NBA season, and Jeff is right about teams evolving to defend the Jazz differently. And I thought as that game went along, I thought the Jazz got much better at getting good looks from the three-point line. Uh, Early in the game, the Clippers really had him shut down. On the ESPN broadcast, Hubie was complimenting the Clippers, but also saying, uh, you know, basically saying, this is great, but how long can they keep this up? And the fact is, they couldn't keep it up. The energy it took to shut down the Jazz wasn't sustainable for 48 minutes. And the Jazz, although they did end up, uh, I think they're 12 of 34 from the three-point line. And so how are they going to create the 40 or 45 three-pointers a game that they need if they're going to make 18 to 20. You know, when they get to the 20 three-pointers made, they're usually good to go. And so Quinn's answer has basically been take more threes. You can't make more if you don't take more. Uh, The percentage was a little on the low side at 35, but it was way low early in the game. They were down around 30%. So they picked it up as the game went along percentage-wise. And this goes back to the point of, Hey, they're averaging 42 a game and you only got 35. They got to get more up. But I, I like Jeff's point about they're going to have to evolve over the course of the season because they fixed one way teams were playing them and they seem to have an answer for that. Now teams have come up with another thing. So they got to evolve and come up with something else to answer that. Hubie Brown, is that what you're talking about? You just uh-huh. said Hubie. 87 year old Hubie Brown. How about that? 87 years old. Hubie Brown. Grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. How about that? A Jersey guy. And you know who his college roommate was? Frank Layden. <laughs> they go way back. Yeah. They Literally. Co- combination, how they all got to the NBA, speaking of them all. Uh, Larry Costello was a player there at Niagara where they all went. And then he went to the NBA, became a coach, too. He hired Hubie, and Hubie hired Frank. And away they went, all out of Niagara. Hubie Brown, 87 years old, a member of St. Raphael's Parish in West Orange, New Jersey. Storange. Wait, is Storange East Orange or West Orange? It's West Orange. There's an an East Orange, Uh which where my father was born. West Orange, where my mother was born. There's an Orange, where I was born, in the same hospital as John Crotty. And... There's a South Orange, which is where Seton Hall is. So there's not a North Orange. How about that? I got you covered on the oranges. So when people say <laughs> Storange, I just remember we had the it's comedian. The oranges. They call it the oranges. Uh, okay. I had that comedian in the studio, and it cracked me up when he said, Oh, you're from Storange. That comedian? Well, uh, who was it? I forget his name. I can see him clear as day. <laughs> Who do you have in studio, Yak? He's going to taunt me here. He's not going to tell me. Who was, he wasn't here. That was back over at Yeah, it was uh, in the other building. Right, yeah. Yak didn't work over at the other building. I've only been with you guys in this building. Oh, really? Okay. It's, it's been a long run, but it's only been yeah, in this building. You're right. <laughs> who was that comedian? I can see him The one him who farted day. and he thought it was funny? Yeah, I can see him clear as day and I can't think of his oh, name. Was that you? Are you going to tell me or not? You're driving me nuts. I here. can't remember it. Oh, you can't either? <laughs> <laughs> I was stalling, oh, hoping okay. that you got it. <laughs> no, It'll come to me. Talk about something else that comes to me. 
<laughs> but he dropped store orange, and it was I can't remember if he's talking about East Orange or West Orange, but you guys had your Jersey moments. <laughs> but that's amazing. UB Brown still doing his thing. Yeah. At eighty-seven years of yeah. age, he was he was ref in the game. He was calling the game. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Still going. That, that, that is he just didn't, he didn't like a bunch of calls in that game. When when you're thinking about it, at 87. 87. and still on top of his of game. Age. You know, he he just called. Hey, this Clipper defense is great, but you could hear it in his voice. I don't think they can keep defending like this. <laughs> it's just too much energy. Well, you know, and that's why. I don't put a ton of stock into that ball game because of the fact that it was clear that the Clippers were jacked for the game. And why shouldn't it be? Yeah. Why shouldn't they be? They absolutely should have been because they had, and Steve Cleveland agreed with that, they had more to prove to, I well, guess, basketball in a sense than at the moment that the Jazz had to prove. Now, that doesn't mean the Jazz came out and didn't care about the game by any stretch. I don't think that that's the case. But I just feel like that was sort of the Clippers' game to win. You know, and, and the Clippers are 1-1 one and one in their last two. <laughs> so, you know, if they would have won that game and turned around and or lost that game and turned around and won last night against Miami, they'd still be 1-1. Yeah. One one. It was the, it the Nets last night? What did I say? Miami. It was the Nets. The they, Nets they, yeah. They played the Miami before they played the Jazz. Exactly. Yes, beat beat Miami, lost to the Jazz. Beat the Jazz, lost to the Nets. Well, Miami beat the Lakers on uh-huh. Saturday, and that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of because I watched uh, it's time of year where you're watching a ton of basketball. So I watched the Miami game against the Lakers on Saturday. Then I turned around and watched the Clipper game against the uh Nets last night, yeah. And it worked out for both. The Jazz, the teams that they wanted to win won, and the teams that they wanted to lose lost. So it was actually a productive weekend. They gained a half a game on the Lakers, and the Jazz are the uh, Clippers, and they're right where they started on Friday, right? No, I guess the Clippers picked up a half game, but I get your point. Nobody made, well, then, but the nobody Clippers, made a big move. Yeah, they got the I mean, split with the Clippers down there. They got the tiebreaker with the Clippers now. If they do finish with the same record, the Jazz will have the better seed. Maybe that'll be the difference between one and two. Who knows? Who knows how it will play out? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean who knows? But what you want now is to have uh, every advantage you can. I mean, yeah, they got them. They may not I, matter. I but. have to say, I was rooting for the opponents in the Lakers and Clippers games. Does it matter? Or does it mean anything? I'm not sure. But along the way. I was, I, that's what I was doing. So what can I tell you? That's what I felt. I think everybody, that's what we're doing, right? Or no? Yeah, I think so. I, those are the games that resonate with me. It's funny, the games in the middle of the league that used to matter so much just don't matter as much now. I find myself looking at the schedule like, when do the Lakers and Clippers play? What are they doing? And, and think- what, the, what the Suns and the Nuggets and the Mavericks and all that, you know, last year... You watch the top of the league because it's the top of the league, and then you watch all the teams around the Jazz. And so that meant, like, you know, there were seven games that mattered because the West was so bunched up. And now it seems like it's really the Jazz and Clipper games that they get my attention. I mean, if something else happens, when you have an end of the game like you had in Golden State on Saturday, that's going to get my attention. That, that's too entertaining not to. Do you think it got the attention of Jay Moore? Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> feel better now. Who, as you know, was Storage. born in Verona, 
New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys had your Jersey moments. <laughs> it's gotten to the point now with Jersey, and I've heard so much, that whenever I see someone who I think is tough guy, wannabe tough guy, borderline tough guy, I always look to see if he's from Jersey. All the time. Do it all the time. You mean like Joe Pesci? <laughs> no. Actually, I was talking about soccer, and I know that's going to uh, – you know, remember Kansas City? We hate them, and they hate us, and that just drove you nuts. And I, I still hate Sporting KC. <laughs> Their head coach, total tough guy, still works out. He's, you know, 50-whatever, looks like he's 30-whatever, and he's just he just wears out. You know, Dunny's done national games where he's been on the sideline, and he says it's just unbelievable. He is just yelling at the ref, yelling at his players, yelling at the linesman he's right in front of him. just living life is and you, all he's doing. And you click on it, it's like, he's a Jersey guy. Of course he is. <laughs> Why he's, wouldn't he be? He's just living life to the and fullest. You and would, you would love it. You would love to sit two rows behind Peter Vermees and just listen to him work, people. Like, yeah, go Jersey! <laughs> I only get half of what you're talking about, but I love all of it. <laughs> it's it's got to be something in the water. Something in the air. I don't know. It's something. Why Jersey people are in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Vermees is totally in your face. It's so Jersey. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, everything you missed in this show. Little NFL, little baseball, little golf, a lot of basketball, some jazz, some college. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. Tony Finau, second playoff hole, and this to keep it going to a third. And this for a sand save par. Sends this on the way up to the cup, has a chance to fall and will not. And Max Homa has won the 2021 Genesis Invitational. Homa missed a three-footer at 18. He would have won it all. Instead, the California kid beats Finau in the second playoff hole. Max Homa is now part of the championship culture of the city of L.A. Max Homa, second playoff hole. Dodgers, Lakers. And now an L.A. kid wins the, uh, well, it's not the L.A. Open anymore, but it might as well be. Tony Finau, the West High Panther, so close yet again, PK. Another top 10. This is even better than that. A final round 64. If there was ever a day you thought he's playing well, he's making putts, he's going to make the big shot to win the tournament, this would be the day. You got a 64 uh Man, you must be feeling awesome out there. You must feel like you can do anything. Just shoot 64 on a, on a Sunday on the PGA Tour. But he had a putt to win the tournament on the first extra hole, and he didn't get it to go. And so Homa gets away with a, uh, with a blunder, a bad putt there at 18, but he wins it on the second playoff hole. Yeah, that 64 is interesting because it was not a 64 while in the lead. It was a 64. 64 is a 64. You can't take that away from anybody. You play that and shoot that well. Obviously, you're awesome, and he is awesome. We all understand that. Uh, But it wasn't like he was holding off challengers. 
he sort of was in a horse racing deal, come along the outside. He wasn't on the rail. And with home, once Homa missed that putt, which I have to believe Tony and we all thought was going to go in, uh, then he found himself, and you saw he, what he took off his mask or whatever it was and got ready to go play. And I was talking with somebody last night as far as that goes. You know, it, is it easier to shoot at 64 when you're sort of on the outside as opposed to being the one that everyone's chasing? But a 64 is still a 64, and you can't invalidate it under any stretch but it was an interesting situation from where he was as opposed to waking up on Sunday and being in the lead. And then they had that playoff. He's going to have to sink a game-winning, not a game-winning, a round-winning, a tournament-winning, I guess you should say, a tournament-winning putt. And it will come. You can't be this good. And not have it come. But at the same time, winning, and I, I always call it the L.A. Open, too, uh, I've been there many times over the years when I lived down there. Uh, is winning for him, you know, is winning the L.A. Open where it's at? Well, I think it's better than winning to Puerto Rico because L.A. usually has a good field and the list of well, sure. golfers who've winning won there. Winning is winning. Well, I think Bob Casper told us a long time ago there's, there's A, B, and C level tournaments. So if he wins a major, obviously that trumps everything else. Yeah. But I feel like the at Riviera... You usually have a field that is an A event. I'd have to go back and look at Puerto uh, Rico. I don't know if it's A. No, that Puerto Rico. I, I, that was a B or C. I don't know. I think there's only there's only four tournaments a year now that have an A event. Well, the four majors are above everything else, but yeah. the field you get in the major, you probably get on tour ten to twelve times a year. And, and the thing Ooh, about the Puerto about Rico that. Open is that when he won it, it was the opposite event of a World Golf Championship. Right. Event. Yeah. So the World Golf yeah. Championship events usually have. At least twenty-five of the top thirty golfers. Okay, but I'm, what I'm saying is, if he wins the LA Open, it's not like he's arrived. He won the LA Open. Wow. No, it would be better than what he won in Puerto Rico, but it would clearly it, not be as good as winning a major. Or so even that's a where he's going to go. So we, yeah. we make a big deal. Oh, he's going to get one one of these times. Okay, fine. But you want but it to be he, a major. But right. does he need the LA Open? to get what he really wants. I don't think he does. That's the point I'm no, making. No, he probably doesn't. You're right. It would be better to have it than not. Of but, course. But if you told him right now you can win the LA Open and you can win the Masters, I mean, come on. <laughs> so what kind of a question is that? The thing about his 64 yesterday is if you shoot a 64 on the final round and you're coming up on the outside, but by the time he bogeys 15, he's right in the middle of it. There's You, you can see... He's got a chance to win this. And he bogeys at 15, and we all know he's got the history of coming up short and not winning tournaments. And so when he birdied 16 and 17, I thought that meant something. I thought it that did. mattered. You know, it it's like the pressure to, okay, you need a bogey to tie, or you need a birdie to tie for the lead, and you got it. You need a birdie to take the lead, and you got it. Now, yeah, okay. he could have birdied 18 to slam the door, he could have birdied the first playoff hole to win it. He could have birdied, or he could have parred if he makes his par putt at the second playoff hole. He at least extends it, and who knows what happens on the next hole. You know, so there were other chances, but I thought he made the big putts along the way that in the past he hasn't made. Now, he needed to make one more, and he didn't make it, so that's still out there. Well, then it was big at the time, but there was bigger to come. Right. And it's the same thing with Homa. If Homa's in third place, and he solidified third place, he makes that putt at 18. Come on. Of course he does. 
Don't, I don't think anybody's doubting that. I wouldn't think so. But the putt at 18 had all the pressure winning the tournament. It was funny. Who was the who was the analyst on that? Because they were saying whoever was the hole on the hole announcer was saying uh, something about right in the center of the cup, and then and then goes, oh, "I'd go right side if it was me." And sure enough, it catches the left edge and spins out. Yeah, easy easier to say when you're not uh, when you're not the one standing over the putt, I suppose. Oh yeah, my you know, gosh, I wouldn't have any idea what that right. would be like. We all can create that singular episode in our own minds if it's whatever our individual score is. So I guess we have a, a, a sliver of taste of that. But like yeah, Anton, Homa, he'll grow from it. I think Tony will keep growing. But I'm just saying that I just don't think that, oh, let's just celebrate wildly. He finally broke through. At his level, breaking through is one of the four biggies. It's like Kepka. Kepka hasn't won a whole lot on the tour but he's winning the ones that matter the most, and that's where he's made his rep. Talked a little golf today. We talked a little uh, college basketball today. BYU, they needed to go dominate Loyola Marymount, and they went and dominated Loyola Marymount. Check that box and move on. 17-5 and five now. Did you take anything away from that other than, wow, they made that look easy? LMU... You know, I used to cover them when I was down in L.A. because that they were one of those schools where we sort of paid attention to them. So I covered some of that great Paul Westhead team. I was there the morning of uh, Hank Gathers died on a Sunday uh, against – I think they were playing Portland. And right by that, when Hank actually collapsed, Eric Spolstra was on the floor, was right there. Uh, on a first-hand uh, eyewitness account. So anyway, the next morning I'm sitting there doing an agate shift, which is the scoreboard, and the editor says, I need you to hustle up to LMU right now. And I go into this uh, the auditorium up there to 10,000 crying people over the loss of Hank Gathers. But there's never really been a commitment to big-time basketball. And BYU, I think, has a commitment to big-time basketball. So they should work them. That's exactly what they should do. And they did do that. So... Doing something that you're supposed to do, I think there's credit and there is accomplishment in doing that. They were on the road this week, and there have been good, be what we thought, teams that looked pretty good, but then they've gone on the road and lost in the West Coast Conference, and it sunk their NCAA hopes. But these guys went out and turned in strong performances, got their wins, and now they're 17-5 and and 8-3 and in league play, and they're coming home for two games to wrap up the regular season. Utah State lost twice at Boise State, both winnable games, both close late. Tie game with three points to go on Friday after being down one with five minutes to go on Wednesday, and the Broncos made the winning plays in those last couple of minutes. So Utah State now 14-7 overall, 11-4 and in conference. Uh, at least two of those top four teams get in, but not all four. Two or three, don't you think? Somebody gets beat up and knocked out? I would out. think three at this point, but, uh, you know, I'm real interested to see what happens in Vegas. Hopefully everybody goes to Vegas and the conference tournament can be uh, happen, can be pulled off, because I think there's any one of five teams. I would throw Nevada in there as a, you know, a little bit of a long shot, but they could have an opportunity possibly to win that. So it's set up to be real competitive I think right now I would still favor San Diego State. Aggies are going to play Nevada this week. Uh, they yeah. got them at home on Friday and Sunday. 
And the Utes, two late turnovers, and they lose to Oregon 67-64. That game was going back and forth right at the end of the game. It looked like the Utes had a chance, but the turnovers sink them, and they drop to 9-10 and on the year and 6-9 and in conference. And they play Oregon State tonight. It's kind of a weird deal, uh, but it's a, it's a weird year, and it's a makeup game from earlier this year at the Huntsman Center. They couldn't play the Oregon State-Utah game. So. Oh, yeah, everything is bizarre. Wasn't that delayed here. again? They delayed it again? I believe so. It moved to, I think, early March. I can't keep track, clearly. So what you're saying is it's Never not mind tonight. then. It is not tonight. I don't it is not. I didn't think it was, but you know that stuff more than I do. No, I'll go with Yak on this. Originally, it was a Thursday, Saturday, Monday. And they've moved it to the week of the Colorado date in early March. Okay. Never mind then. Early March would be next week. Okay. Today is Fair the 22nd. Point. Yes. <laughs> They got USC and UCLA this week and then Colorado next week, and so and they plugged it in there. Oregon State's in that week there, yeah. Reset. UCLA on uh, Thursday and USC on Saturday at home for the Utes. All right, and then we talked some, uh, some NBA basketball, the Jazz and the Clippers, the Clippers and the Nets. The Nets beat the Clippers on Sunday after the Clippers beat the Jazz on Friday, and the Nets... They sweep their Western road trip. They beat the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Kings. And they had not won four straight road games since 2008. I find that to be unbelievable. <laughs> 13 years? But they got uh, five in a row. They've beaten eight Western teams in a row. So <laughs> as much as we want to dismiss them against the West, PK. Who's dismissing them? Eight. Oh, the East gets dismissed against the West all the time. But the not, Nets have to be it's, set it's aside. Not the, East are not, the, the Nets are not the East. The right, Nets the, Nets the Nets are the Nets. Yeah. They do not need to be lumped in with the others. I believe in what Steve Cleveland was saying as far as James Harden playing his best ball ever. Yes. Well, he kind of put himself on notice demanding his way out, right? Well, yeah, and you just can't come in there and just start jacking it up and doing maybe what you did when you had just total control of the offense with Houston for all that time. And I didn't see him do that. It's really going to be intriguing to me what happens when Durant comes back because uh, I think there's more top-level star talent with this team than Durant had with the Warriors. doesn't mean they're the better team than the Warriors. I'm not saying that. But there's guys who have had the ball and have had success with the ball and to where you think they uh, – I'm taking that shot and – How's it going to be? It's going to be a fascinating thing to develop. And if they get that, get that thing squared away, which I believe they can, they are legitimate as far as winning it all. Absolutely. Nets win again. They beat the Clippers 112-108, although there's a controversial play at the end of the game. Kawhi Leonard driving to the hoop, called for an offensive foul on Harden. Uh, wiping him away with his left arm, and Harden sold it, and the whistle did not get swallowed with eight seconds to go. I I didn't think it was that controversial. I mean, the Nets really didn't even really talk about it that I saw. You mean the Clippers? And the Nets aren't going to talk about it. They got the call. The Clippers would be the ones complaining about it. I did mean the Clippers, yes. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't really listen to them complain about it that much. Maybe I missed it, but I watched the postgame, and – because they interviewed Lou and that the real freaky thing about Paul George and the minutes, you know, they pulled him out with 33 
And Legler was saying, well, what is he can't play 35. And if that's the case, you have the minutes restriction, as Steve Cleveland brought it up too as a coach. Why wouldn't you orchestrate the minutes so he would be in there at the end of the game instead of standing over there uh, watching? It was sort of bizarre. He said after the uh, Jazz Clippers game that he was feeling it and he thought if he'd had to go any more against the Jazz that uh, he just wouldn't really have been able to uh, contribute the way he should have if he was being totally honest. He played 27 minutes against the Jazz, so I don't think he'll be on that minutes restriction long, but that is odd that he'd be out at the end of the game because usually the star players who get paid the most are going to be in there at the end of the game. Yeah, and why didn't you manipulate the minutes so yeah, he was available earlier, at the right? end? I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on there. But and the Clippers lost the game, and good for the Nets. They won the game. But the, the Clippers are still going to be in the mix. They're going to have the opportunity to do what they would want to do. Whether they can do it or not, I don't know. But they have that opportunity. They're, they're, they're a good team also, no question about it. You would think that you could go to the 6th or 8th or 10th assistant coach and have them track the minutes and, hey – Remind me when he's got to come in and out, will you? Yeah, you know, and that's the funny thing now that there's no crowd on the court level. You can really see how many assistants or strategists or analysts or whatever they are, auxiliary guys, that these teams have. Before, when they sat in the second and third row, they kind of blended in with the crowd. Well, now they're all wearing some type of team – pullover basically because they're not wearing suits and you can really get to see these guys do they they do they got like 10 guys on their staff this is crazy yep and you think one of them could track the minutes somebody i mean basically every player has an assistant coach now to work on his game and you know development and all that so you think if nothing else that coach would be tracking that guy he works with I was thinking, you know, we're so darn important in our jobs. We need personal assistance. Uh, that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Isn't you, that kind each, of my job? Each one of us can say, well, my staff. Yuck, at, the t- <laughs> at any time that you have to do something that blends into being personal assistant for us, that's your least favorite part of the job. And, hey, you may or may not do it, depending on the day and what it is and how things are going. But there's always a little eye roll like, I'm the producer. I'm I'm not exactly your personal assistant here. Can you schedule that for me? No. You know what I'm talking about. All right. And then the Jazz. Big picture takes on the Jazz. Get people up to speed. They weren't going to sweep the Clippers. That would be unusual. If they did sweep the Clippers, wouldn't it be dismissed as, well, that's unusual. It's a regular season because they wouldn't really sweep the Clippers. It's one of those deals where even if you did sweep them, people would discount it. Oh, sure, but I still think we're looking for short-term satisfaction. Yeah, And it would have been fun because there's been a lot of yeah buts relative to the Jazz. So why not answer it? In my mind, they did answer it to an extent. Like, I like the fact – I don't like the fact that they got down by 15, but I like the fact that they fought back. Real quickly. Didn't wait till the bitter end. Took the lead in the third quarter. Right. That was impressive because it looked like it might get away from them. And we know they did get blown out, although it's been a while since they've been blown out, right? It's been well over, what, whenever those New York games were. Or the Denver game, I guess they got blown out, and that was a couple weeks back. So there is that. But I like the fact that at least it wasn't a blowout and there was some fight. And Mitchell continues to impress. Guy's amazing. 
He's an amazing ball player. To your point about the Clippers and their intensity on the ESPN broadcast, they had Lou Williams mic'd up, and they got him in the huddle telling his yeah, teammates, yeah, 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 keep, yeah. It, keep it going. Nobody beats us uh, back-to-back. Nobody beats us twice in three days. Nobody comes in here and does that to us. So not in our house is that Miami Hurricanes <laughs> he, announcer? He did not drop that, <laughs> but it was. You don't come into the SC Staples Center. <laughs> you don't come in. <laughs> you don't come into the Lakers' house and beat us twice. Well, that like he was in the OB, that guy. Yeah, I know. We're all going on. Yeah, <laughs> I think he got fired too after that. <laughs> Brawl on the field. He's cheering on the guys instead of saying, no, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> DJ and PK, there we go. That's what we've been talking about in this show. And when we come back, your feedback coming up next. so nice to beat the Clippers with everybody focused on the Jazz. Would have been so nice if Donovan Mitchell decided to show up for both the halves. Would have been so nice. And the thing about it here, she's going to take way more than John ever took. Yes. <laughs> Monday morning, Monday morning. You want me to cut it? <laughs> there it is. That was so an emphatic. Yes. 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 Marv Albert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was it was more of a like almost like it was a sexy yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it again. Yes. <laughs> it's like when Honey said to DJ, "Do you want me?" He yes. said. <laughs> Do I look beautiful in this dress? Yes. <laughs> Am I your eternal companion? Yes. <laughs> Tell Scotty and Ann's I'm going to need a half hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is DJ pouting now? Yes. <laughs> In fact, he's kind of willed his way away from the mic and just sitting there. I can reach it. I'm here. No, I just, I could see what was going on. I looked at Yach and I just nodded at him. And then I leaned back and put my feet up on the desk, put my hands on my head, just stretched out and relaxed. Like, PK's got Will this, DJ win another this award this week? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. The award-winning weeks are better than the other weeks. <laughs> and good job by Kay. I like that tune. And they can really harmonize. In fact, I thought it was the Beach Boys. I didn't realize it was Kay and his wife or whoever the lady is. <laughs> it's his wife who does the harmonizing with him. They're very good. They got it down. They got it down. You think they're in the ward choir? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Say yes like that. No idea. <laughs> Inspired. Yes. Uh, is it fun to make fun of DJ? Yes. <laughs> Should we keep doing it? Yes. <laughs> 
just having a conversation with the drop. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, I believe really I got paid for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be clear. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Lovable, but definitely a pain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Does that actually sound that much like me? Yes. No, not really, no. no. That's why I thought it was unusual. I think, I think if you play that, if you don't tell, now, of course, you know, they're probably here in the show, but if you didn't tell another host in the station who is this, I wonder if they would get it. Yes. <laughs> That's why I wanted it cut up, because I thought it sounded so much different yeah. than what you normally sound like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the feedback today's show. And Greg says, I don't know about you needing a personal assistant, PK, but I would be in favor of limited minutes the week of the ASU Utah football game. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I think he does this one, doesn't want to hear you talk about the Sun Devils when they're playing the Utes. See, it's a Paul George takeoff. Personal assistant, limited minutes. I He's been listening to that. today's show. Way to go, Greg. Yeah, I understand. I appreciate his listenership. I don't think I go overboard on that. Damon says we beat the Clippers at full strength earlier, so it's one-one split. Fine, the playoffs is when it'll matter anyway. Oh, no doubt, the playoffs are always when it matters. Sure, but we're just trying to have fun in the interim. We're not at the playoffs. We still got half a season to go, and and it, it, this this loss did nothing to curtail my enthusiasm and excitement for the Jazz. In fact, I can argue that it actually increased. So you think uh, mentally it gets them refocused, that it was getting pretty easy, and if they'd taken the Clippers twice, that could have been dangerous and slippery slope? And now when Quinn says we got to fix A, B, and C, whatever that is, uh, you know, we need more threes, or here's what we're going to tweak to get shots – when they're hugging the you know hugging every three point shooter on the three point line, the guys would just automatically be more focused because they got a, they've got one loss on the last ten and they know it matters. Well, if you're asking me that question, Yach, give him my answer. Yes, <laughs> that was my stunt double. That's why it doesn't sound like me for the truly dangerous radio segments. I'm a stunt. You double. have an assistant. That was you. <laughs> now back to me. Well, that to answer that question. Uh, that's to be determined. I see no reason why there isn't a heightened focus because I think with this group, this is a mature group. It's a veteran group. They all realize the task at hand. You got, what, a 33, two 33-year-olds and a 31-year-old. Now, they still have time to play ball, but you never know with contract situations and what's going to be available. Who's to say Mike Conley's going to be on the team next year? I don't know if he is. He's not under contract, right? Doesn't he become a free right. agent yep. this summer? He's up. So I, who knows what's going to happen. So take advantage of it. These guys have been around. Every one of them, even the youngster in Mitchell, has been around enough to know that there's no guarantees and you don't know what's ahead. So you have an opportunity right now and you have to seize it. And so that's why I don't think that there's going to be any situation where even if they would have won, they would have thought, oh, wow, this is coming so easy. We could take our foot off the gas, blah, blah, especially now when you know you got a week coming up that you'll be off. So you got a little light at the end of the tunnel here. What's it through next week? And then they take some time off. 
So just look at these next set of games. You don't want to look past Charlotte, but you can look at this next week plus and think, hey, let's just let's let's. If, how many games they have left? Whatever they got, five games left before the break, and so you win uh, yeah, twenty four out of twenty six or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, that would be absolutely awesome. Charlotte tonight. Are we out of time, DJ? Yes. <laughs> Should we make way for Scotty and Hands? Yes. Commercial break first. Yes. See you tomorrow from 6 to 10 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.